Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as He makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. Good morning. I think you all know me, but just in case, my name is Tiana Coleman. I'm one of the pastors here and one of the worshipers, and it is an honor to be with you all this morning on this very cold day. (laughs) Very cold day. Um, And I just want to say, if at any moment you want to say amen, if at any moment you want to stand in back and, uh, I don't know, hear the message from back there, feel the spirit from back there. If at any moment I'm making a joke and you wanna laugh, all these things are welcome in this space. (laughs) Thank you, Derek. (laughs) I got a couple people. Uh, Jimmy's not the only funny one. (laughs) So it's 2024. I don't even know how that happened, but here we are. It's still early enough in the year where goals are fresh and still a thing, because it's only the 14th. So any of you with a goal, keep going. Jimmy mentioned he's not much of a goal-oriented person. I only laughed a little bit at that last week, because, you know, I I see him make an effort. We have a fun time at work, and uh, yeah, I see him doing, doing a lot of good stuff. I generally like the idea of goals because if there's a reward especially involved in the goal, like okay, you lose this amount of weight, then you can have more sugar, that helps me move along in the things that I hope to accomplish. It might defeat the purpose, but if there is a reward at the end, I usually do good. That's what motivates me mostly, that this idea of reward, that if I can do this goal, then there might be something at the end of it. Or at least until mid-February where like a lot of people, it starts to taper off and I'm back to my normal distracted self. But nevertheless, I'm gonna keep trying and keep pressing on in these goals. So one thing we talked about last week is goals and our goals for our church. And goals really can be good. Um, It's good to say, okay, this is there and if I could just get to that point, if I can get close to that point, then I might be accomplishing something. Last week, Jimmy began to lay out some of the goals that we, as a church, want to live into this next year. It was a really good word, a good word on dignity, a good word on the man who was born blind and those that responded to him, the disciples namely, and their understanding. It was a good example of Jesus seeing this man. And that was really a good way for us to start off with, who do we want to be in Uptown? as we consider dignity, as we consider others. So as we continue to lean in today, I wanna talk about, as well as Jimmy last week did, but our, who we are as a church in the Uptown Public Square. I want us to continue in that vein of thinking because there's a lot there, and truthfully that one goal could probably keep us busy for a very, very long time. So let me pray for us. Dear Lord, I thank you for those gathered in person, those gathered online. I thank you that you are a God that is with us, a God that sees us. I thank you, Lord, that you have so much um, that you invite us into, so much that you um, have allowed us to, to really have our hearts pricked for on your behalf. 
um, Lord, I just pray that as we um, are here today listening, that um, we would just be present to you as you are to us, and that we would be willing to grow and learn together. We love you, Lord, and we give you this time. Amen. So as I said, we're going to continue to lead into this idea of a church in Uptown, a church known in the public square. I was perusing our Missio Day website because it had been a while since I had looked on it, and I wanted to read or reread what that site said about us. Because there's always things floating out there about you, you know, when you're an organization or a group of people. So I wanted to go back and look, and I was very much inspired and blessed by what I saw. And I just thought it would be good for us to be aware of some of what's on there. So I went to the site, and it started off with our story. And I'm going to just read you a portion of that. We desire for Missio Day Uptown to be a community that de- redefines the image of church in our context. As Jesus, after Jesus rose from the dead, he left a community of believers where God's power was constantly on display. These people loved their neighbors radically and shared their lives with one another. They told of their struggles and failures openly, served one another, gave freely, and lived courageously. People from all over came together to worship Jesus and offer the world a vision of life so beautiful that many would leave everything to follow Jesus. We too, Monsieur Day, believe that Jesus is life. Jesus offers a life of grace, forgiveness, freedom, joy, and community that we hope define our church. We are a church where everyone is welcome and where the good news of Jesus is transforming our lives. This belief leads us to the broken places, engaging people with this new life and boldly proclaiming the love of Jesus that stands above everything else, end quote. It continues on with our history, our vision, our mission, also defining our values of renewal, honor, and freedom. And this is across all the the four congregations of Misty O'Day that this applies followed by pictures of our staff, elders, and deacons, and little, little bios on some of them. So when you have a chance, I'd say check this out. To know more of who we are, to know more of what you have attached yourself to, I would say check out this website because it's good to be aware of what um, we're saying we're about. So even if we're not quite there, it also can be a good aspirational place to read those. So the last couple of sentences, and particularly the last sentence from our website, lined up with a goal that I will be talking about today, or maybe it's goals, it's two things. We are a church where everyone is welcome and where the good news of Jesus is transforming our lives. And this sentence is the one I want you to sort of zero in on. This belief leads us to the broken places, engaging people with this new life, and boldly proclaiming the love of Jesus that stands above everything else. This goal or goals I want to talk about, and I want to put it in, the, in these two words that kept coming to me all week and as I was engaging in conversation. I want us to consider presence and love, those two words, as we talk about those, those being part of our goals. In this section of Matthew that Sydney just read, Jesus has been teaching parable after parable. Actually, from pretty much Matthew 5 on, Jesus is busy talking, doing a lot of talking. 
He's also healing people, overturning tables in the temple, healing more people, dealing with verbal traps that the Sadducees and Pharisees are setting for him. He's answering the disciples, doing a ton of teaching, and that's not even everything. Those were just the sort of obvious to me things that I saw in much of Matthew. So at this point, this man has got to be tired. He has just been going, 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 going. There's so much red letter that um, just very, very, very busy. The section that was read takes place on the Mount of Olives, and what was read is also preceded by the disciples questioning him about the destruction of the temple and signs of the end times. So we're in Matthew 25, but in Matthew 24, they're like, okay, so just so tell us what, what's gonna happen, what's gonna come? And so he is sitting at, at the, on the Mount of Olives answering them. Even though Jesus' answer to the disciples is in response to an eschatological or end times question, it's very applicable to what the needs are now, as well as what is happening in the future. He is addressing the nations gathered around him in Matthew 25. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. So this is what he's talking about, the sort of the end, the end and all the nations that are gathered around him. He said this, and this is the first time he mentions this in this verse, right? Then the righteous asked specifically, when did we do those things? He said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he looks to the left. Okay, so my left is over here. I don't really know my left from my right, quite honestly. Um, but he looks to the left, and the conversation takes a whole different turn, because he's now telling them what they did not do and what awaits them. They did not attend to those with needs, grave needs. They did not care for them. They did not see them as people made in God's image, needing love, and their image to be considered sacred because they were created. They did not see the least of these brothers or sisters. When I was talking to Jimmy about what I was going to share today, he proposed the verses in Matthew that we have read, and my response was, those, va- those verses are some of my favorites. And then as the week went on, I reread them again, and I realized that the conversations are with nations that are gathered in front of the king. Okay, and think what's going on with nations, so bring it sort of into a modern context. And he's telling some to the right that you will be blessed by my father, take your inheritance, and go enjoy that, right? And the ones to the left, depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Folks, it gave me pause. I went from this is my favorite, look what we're called to do, and this is so great, to whoa, he has the nations in front of him saying, some of y'all did this, and some of you all did not. And I really was um, not scared, but definitely had this moment of like, wow, this is something we need to be taking seriously. The nations were standing before him. God takes seriously how his people who are created in his image are treated. He takes that seriously, especially the least of these. We are in this warm room, this warm space. That is not the case for everybody in this city. I actually woke up thinking, folks, there are people under the bridge. There are people in thin tents. There are people who 
have come here from miles and miles away because they were looking for hope, the least of these, and what are we doing? Like, you know, you wake up sometimes with those convictions of like, this is, this is real in the here and the now. The hungry, the sick, the thirsty, the poor, the imprisoned. And nowadays, this might have different language. The refugee, the unhoused, those in need, those with mental health issues, those who might be different from us. How do we treat them? How have we treated them? Presence and love. We see this all throughout Jesus' life. He gave us extensive examples of both of these. I keep thinking of his interactions with women. And I, just this morning I was like, he was a safe person. To women, he was a safe person. How many women were disregarded? How many women were really good for in the household, childbearing, cooking, maybe discussing scripture in the household? Women who were taken advantage of, women who had to provide for their family, whatever means. But Jesus saw these women. The woman at the well, his friendship with Martha and Mary, which I am so convinced that the friendship that Martha and Mary and Jesus and Lazarus had were just all Lazarus had was just this total brother, sister, let's just be together. Let's have fun. Let's, let's wonder what my Martha is so busy running around and not sitting. Why Mary is at times maybe distracted to the other extreme and not helping out. Like just as brothers and sisters that can just be together, the way he viewed women, the woman that he healed. You know, the reality of women and our bodies and what we deal with at times, y'all don't even know. Some of y'all don't even know. But then to have some of these things last over a decade, to have some of these issues where you can't stand upright, Jesus saw her. It was personal. And again, that it was a safe place for these women, that the woman at the well could have this whole conversation and not be judged and be loved is, is mind-blowing. Presence and love. His welcoming of children in Mark 10. The disciples, it was the parents bringing their children, right? But the children, I'm sure, as we've seen, probably running up like, hey, you're somebody great that my parent wants me to know. And the disciples are like, no, no, no. He's meeting with other folks. And Jesus is like, no. Welcome the children. Make a space for the children. And I have to say, as somebody who's not a kid kid person, this is convicting. Like, I like babies. I like babies. But once they start to kind of talk back, like three or four, it's like, oh, that was fun for a minute. So, so I would not probably be great in you know, one of those churches where it's like the women can only do childcare and, and the bagels or whatever. Like, I'd be like, uh, <laughs> I'm good with hospitality, we know this, but, but um, kids, you know, I'm learning, growing, but that's, you know. So I probably would have been one of those disciples, one of those women disciples that are like, hey, back in the back, kiddo, or get that kid and wipe their nose. But that Jesus made space for them, that Jesus said, come, what are you, like, that Jesus, it sounds like even that there was a bit of a rebuke in there for the disciples, that is presence, that is love, that is acceptance, that is seeing somebody who's little but who's gonna grow up to do who knows what based on those interactions, based on, man, yeah, I saw Jesus as a kid, he was so loving, he was so welcoming. Like, what, a, what an example they, they had in that. 
These are worthy goals. They are on full display with Jesus and the others who also chose to walk alongside him. Alongside him. So maybe the disciple was rebuking these families, these kids, but when Jesus says, hey, no, that's not the way, what could that have meant for the people like Peter, who maybe is a little more gruff, to go, oh, okay, this is important, this matters to Jesus, this, this needs to be an important thing to me. As I was thinking and talking about who we are as a church, who we wanna be in the Uptown Public Square, many examples came to mind of both people who are that, who have been those examples to me, of presence and loving, as well as many situations where people need us to be present and loving. And so there's a couple that came to mind, because they often do, and I, um, I know he would be 10 shades of red <laughs> if he was here, <laughs> but Jeremy and Beth, so several of you in the room know who they are, and they are um, dear friends. They used to live with Jesus people. They're now back in Jeremy's home country of New Zealand. And um, for decades lived with Jesus people, and for decades worked at Cornerstone Community Outreach to Shelter in all kinds of roles, in leadership, in case management, um, and more. We're talking Beth, 30 years. Jeremy, I think he was at 20-something, 20 28 years. And she's, and the thing that really stuck out to me and has for years now, I remember several years ago, Beth was like, when we're walking from Jesus People, which is across the street to the shelter, which is what, two blocks away? She goes, if I'm walking with Jeremy, I get stopped all, we get stopped, actually, he gets stopped all the time. Because he works at a homeless shelter, right? So people are like, hey man, you know, what's happening with, with my housing? Hey man, how's your kids? Hey man, you know, he has developed this relationship with people where he's just been present, where he's just been loving. And I know he's one of many, even in this room, there are many people from CCO and many people in general who do the work of being, not just the work, but of being present to people. Because we need people like that, right? And we need to be people like that. So I've appreciated their example of both of them. But when I think of Jeremy, and again, the man's kind of shy, <laughs> so that's why I'd say he'd be like five shades of red if he were here. But we need those people that, like for me, that story was told to me five years ago, six years ago, of well, yeah, when Jeremy, when we walked down the street, it's like the relationships that he has, the presence that he has. And we're not even talking about an extrovert, we're talking about an introvert just being present, just being loving, just seeing these as his brothers and sisters, you know, not putting himself here, but here. And I would say his wife and many others that work in that context are just like Jesus in the humanizing and then not being in the hurry to get somewhere. I, I can get myself in trouble with that. I have somewhere to be. I ain't that important. <laughs> I'm important to the Lord, I get that. But to really stop and be present as Jesus was to the children, as these folks are to the unhoused, what a gift. And to be known for that. Like, yeah, I might be known for some baked goods and a few other, I mean, a few other things, but to be known like, wow, you took the time to sit and talk with me. You took the time to help me figure out my housing. Like, don't we wanna be known for that, of presence and love? And they just, to me, are, are good examples. And, you know, I was, I was messaging Beth about this, like, I wanna say this about Jeremy and you both, and she's like, it still happens. <laughs> you know, because he's still working in the same sort of scenario in New Zealand, and she's like, yeah, it'll be like, hey, Jeremy, do you have a few bucks? Hey, Jeremy, how's it going? So I love that even in New Zealand, um, 
Jeremy is present and loving, says Beth. I was also thinking of, and we're going to actually skip, because in my notes I didn't realize I did this, we're going to skip to the um, pictures of my friends who are incarcerated. So if we can go down to that. I was also thinking about my classmates inside. They are always really close to my mind. As many of you know, I'm in the School of Restorative Arts at North Park Theological Seminary. Long title. And the next few pictures are pictures of uh, the men at Stateville Men's Prison, the women at Logan Prison, and this was what we had, there's been two graduations, cohort one and cohort two, and you all, it is the most special thing. Because being, it, yeah, it, it is. And these men, a lot of them are brilliant. I had a, a theology class last semester with them, and I'm, you know, I'm the only woman there, so I'm like, everybody's, everybody's either little or big sister, depending on their age. And it's like, these men are smart. And the different perspectives that you can have when you visit somebody who is incarcerated, many of them are black and brown men who the system has not been kind to, many of the white men, poor men, and the ones who also, though, have committed the crime, because there are ones in there who have not committed the crime, but the ones who have committed the crime, they're honest about that. That's been my experience. They're honest like, yeah, I did this thing, especially ones who really have gotten saved and who are really wanting to turn their life around. And even when I'm there for class, because I think I'll have a class there this summer, but when I was there this last semester, North, uh, sorry, Northwestern has some classes going on and this other, I think Loyola. And even if I wasn't in the same class with them, they were like, thank you for being here. Thank you for being present. And I just was always blessed by that. Whenever I like passed somebody on the way to the restroom, it was like, just thank you for being here. And I realized that not everybody can go inside, not everybody can you know, be in a, in a program like I'm in. I, I feel very blessed and privileged, but there is something about being with incarcerated people. There's something about writing them that even matters, right? What way can we be present, pres present to those in prison? Because if it's said in scripture, then I kind of feel like it's not a, a maybe, <laughs> or if I want to, it's like, how can we get proximate, even if you cannot be in that space? And I'm just telling you that as much as I, yes, might be present to them, and they say that, these guys are, and these women are so present to me, showing me love. I mean, things I said when I first started going in in 2019, I am still asked about. No, 2020, I am still asked about. How's your son? Did he, did he, you know, what's happening with your family? Like detail, and details, and I'm like, oh my gosh, four years ago I told you that. They remember, I'm gonna pray for you, hope you're well, yeah, tell your family hi. And I just, I, I thought this a few months ago, probably when I was in class, that as much as, you know, there's prison ministry, there's all these different things, this is for those of us who go inside, this is a blessing to us. And I'm like, for some reason, and I, maybe that's even why, it's in scripture. This is a place where we get to grow, a place where we get to say, wow, you are loving Jesus even in the midst of some really hard conditions. You are learning even in the midst of some really, you are welcoming even in the midst of some, sometimes some horrific things I have, had, I have heard of inside. And what a gift to be present and to be loved and to also be present and to be loving. Um, if we go back to the other slides, uh, the first one before, before uh, after Beth and Jeremy. 
So this slide is Gaza. Um, We know that starvation is starting to be a really, really, really big problem there and is a problem in war. And we, again, I know that we can't be there, but as a church that is wanting to be present, as a church that wants to love, we can pray, we can advocate in all kinds of ways on, um, with, our, with our senators and et cetera. But this, is, this isn't just over there. This is something that we as believers need to care about here. And again, as we are present and loving, we also know this is an issue in our country as well. For some reason, a country that is as wealthy as it is, we have people who are hungry. So again, in the public square, to be present, to be loving, what does it look like when we know people are hungry? I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. That's the positive verse. We also know that there's the other one that says, I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. We, I believe, want to be that church that says, yeah, I see your hunger. I see what you don't have. How can I stand in the gap? How could I be praying? How could I also provide and put some actions to it? The next slide, we have refugees. We have refugees. Like I said, like this morning, I was, so, I was so worried. I was like, what on earth? There are some folks still in tents. There are some folks still traveling here. Chicago winter is no joke. And we had a mild one last year, but we are not having a mild one right now. What are we doing to welcome these folks. And again, this is even though we're in Uptown and we have, these folks are right here now. They are here in our presence. How do we show up? How do we love folks that are coming to find a better life? I was a stranger and you invited me in. Another way with that is that Exodus Ministries is gonna be doing a training here. I think we'll have some more information in the coming weeks. Exodus is all about welcoming refugees, some of it in practical ways, like um, housing and et cetera. And then really what they call on us to do is friendship. Just befriend, befriend somebody. And if you are able to help with practical needs, great. You know, if somebody's having a new bo- a baby, could you help with the baby package, et cetera? Uh, teenagers coming in, teenagers have their own needs. Can you help with this or that? Exodus Ministries, and that's something that we can be a part of, are a part of, and like I said, they'll be doing a training into the month, we'll have more information, but I was a stranger and you invited me in. What's it like to be invited to something? Like when someone says, I want you to be there. I want you to join me. Like, I don't know if it gets more hospitable than saying, yeah, join us, be a part of us. Presence and love. And again, as I said before, we may not be able to physically be in some of these environments, whether it's prison, obviously Gaza. But if our hearts can have the posture, if our lives can have the posture of we want to be present, we want to love beyond our, I mean, our lives matter, we know that. But beyond sometimes even our drama, (laughs) our pettiness of life, our, you know, the things that sort of, like, I was thinking about some of the things that trip me up. It's like, ah, if I could just spend more energy over here um, in relationship, in seeing others, like, that would be beneficial for me as well. I was talking to Emmy. We get together every Wednesday, me, Emmy, and Jimmy, Emmy and Jimmy, and we discuss the sermon. 
kind of give some ideas for whoever's preaching that Sunday. And Jimmy was sick, so me and Emmy were like, hey, let's get some food and still hang out and have girl time and discuss the sermon. So that was really good. And one thing she said that I hadn't thought of, but she's like, you know, it, it also takes a risk, though. We have to be willing to, do, to have that risk in these various spaces and relationships. And for us, that means at times we're going to be uncomfortable. That means at times maybe approaching that person or when that person approaches you, being willing to say, yeah, I will be in this relationship. I will help provide this need. That is a risk. And sometimes we don't want to do that. My, my teacher, I was in a J-term class at the seminary this uh, Wednesday, uh, Thursday through Saturday. She told us this story that kind of had a few of us going, um, <laughs> we believe in risk, but I don't know about that. But she told us this story of, she was heading over to the seminary of some, some months ago, and you know, the Lord had put it on her heart. There was this man laying on the ground, and, and she felt like the Lord was like, you need to stop. And she was like, I don't think so. <laughs> and she drove on by, but she just said it just like wouldn't let up. You need to stop. You need to stop. You need to see what's going on with him. And so she's like, I made a U-turn. <laughs> she goes, you can never make a U-turn on that street either, but I was able to make a U-turn before she got to the seminary. And she goes, I didn't know if this guy was going to like knock me upside the head. I just, you know, there was, there was this fear. But she goes, I just was like, Lord, I just have to trust you. Okay, you said to do this. And so she goes over, she's like, sir, like, are, are you okay? Like, how can I, can I help you? And he's like, you know, my leg is really messed up. My leg is messed up. I, you know, if you could just help me up. And she's like, should I call an ambulance? He goes, well, if you could just take me in your car um, to the hospital, because Swedish hospital's right there. Let me get a drink. Hold that suspense for a minute. <laughs> what happens? <laughs> well, she taught the class this weekend, so she, she's with us. Um, and so she's like, um, you know, this is a 60-something-year-old, older black woman, delightful, delightful lady to learn from. And, but she's like, okay, I did say I would trust, and I'm just, I'm going to take this risk. So she helps him into her car, and on her way, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> I wasn't emotional when I thought about this earlier, but on the way to the hospital, he's like, you know, I'd hurt my leg, and I got to the bridge, and I just thought I could end this all. I could end this all right now. And she said she just was like, wow. And they just had a good moment of talking and prayer. And she's like, in that moment, I was supposed to, you know, answer and be, be available to this person who was really internally struggling. And she just was, got to be, she got to be Jesus in that moment. She got to be present in that moment. She got to love this person in this moment that God's like, go back, go back, go back. <laughs> and she said yes in that moment. And she was fine, and, and I believe he's fine. But to be present, to love God enough that we are willing to take those risks, sometimes for the least of these, and sometimes for just people who are, who are like, you know, ones of us sitting here who are struggling for somebody to come up and say, hey, what's going on? Or you seem a little downcast today, or I haven't seen you in church for three weeks. It's a risk, because who knows? Maybe somebody would knock you upside your head. Or maybe somebody would say, it's none of your business. But to love people enough, to be present to people enough, I believe we want to be that church that says, I see you. I want to be present to you. I want to love you and walk with you. And, and again, that's not to say, obviously, we know at times, like, no, really, I'm late for the doctors. <laughs> I got to go. Then one thing, and I've been challenged with this in our staff, then make time for another time. Hey, I can't talk with you right now, but please, let's, let's find a time for coffee. Let's find a time to, to get down to the nitty-gritty or whatever or let me see if I can check on that need. 
to be present and to love. There are so many ways, so many ways, and, and there's, it's not to say that many of you, I'm sure, are doing a lot of things like this, of writing prisoners, of stopping to see what's going on with somebody, of taking time with a brother or sister that's struggling. All these things are important to the individual, but also, I believe it also blesses the Lord's heart when he sees our willingness to be in situations that might even be uncomfortable because we love somebody that much and we want to be present to them. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Those are some powerful words. Anyone who does not love, and oftentimes love, as we know, does lead to action and to deed and to being present. Lastly, tomorrow is MLK Day. And uh, with Martin Luther King, I have not read one book all the way through. (laughs) I'm a wannabe reader. You know, for seminary, I mostly read what needs to be read. But this man's a wise, wise man. And I, I, or was a wise man. He's, he's, you know, in glory now. But um, I was really, you know, sort of scrolling through. I've kind of been told of some different books of his. I've read parts of sermons. But I want to end with this quote, um, acknowledging that tomorrow we celebrate him um, and his, his time on earth. But also this, this hurt that he had is just kind of came through. Love is the greatest force in the universe. It is the heartbeat of the moral compass, or cosmos. He who loves is a participant in the being of God. I love that. We get to be a part of God. We get to be a part of his work as we love, as we are present to each other, to those beyond these doors. And what a gift, what a thing that we get to be called into. I want to live a life personally where at the end of it I can go, yeah, I didn't do it perfectly. I had grumpy days. I had judgmental days. But I tried to love well. I tried to be present. God gave me the grace. Will you join me in that? Will our church join me in that? Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.